So I want to ask a question this morning. Again, like I said, my name's Daniel Young. I am, uh, if you haven't seen me here before, I am the campus pastor at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. So I am a Chi Alpha campus pastor under the assemblies, and we are missionaries on your university. So if you have students, send them our way. We want to disciple them. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to make an impact on their campus. And so we've seen God do incredible things in the university, and and he's moving. And so I know when you see the news and when you see all of these things happening and you see the university transforming into a dark place, that's true. However, I want to encourage you because there's a move of God. And there is a magnificent fellowship of young people who are gathering together that are making disciples across the university. And we're seeing God move, and it's incredible. And so um, I, I just want you guys to, to hear that and, and to know that. And so I want to ask you, when was the last time you wanted something really, really bad? When was the last time you kind of saw something, maybe some of us going through midlife crisis, you know, and you're just thinking about, hmm, a fishing boat would really be nice right now. Anybody? Yeah? My father went through midlife crisis, and what he went through is basically buying guns. He's just, he's a gun guy. Anyone else, any gun guys in here? He's just like kind of, he's got a safe, and it's just getting more and more full. I'm like, I mean, you, you could defend an entire army with all this stuff, right? And... And I remember when I was younger, just falling in love with like the new video game system coming out, and you're just like, "Mom, Dad, what the new Nintendo's coming out?" And you gotta like wait in line, you know, and do all these things, and you just kind of shove everything to the side, you know, just to, to get that thing you want so bad, especially when you're kids, right? Uh, many of you might relate to this, but what about um, anyone? Thanksgiving's coming up, right? So when Thanksgiving's coming up, that means what else is coming up? We got Black Friday coming up after that, and then Christmas after that. So, like, all the shopping is – I know some of the mothers in here are already kind of thinking and processing, right, of all the things, all the shopping. My mother's already sent us emails to all the kids, and it's like, Mom, come on. It's not even November yet. Please. <laughs> I'm not even thinking about Christmas and all of these things yet. But Black Friday is an interesting tradition in our culture, isn't it? You ever see the news and see the mayhem that happens on Black Friday? You, it, it's, it's crazy because there's always people injured on Black Friday. It's like this terrible thing, and you kind of know you live in a materialistic culture, don't you? When you turn on the TV and it's Black Friday and there are literally people mowing each other down, shoving out of the way, women pulling hair and all this. this people act insane, don't they? They act crazy because on this, this materialistic sense that we have, it's I want this thing and I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to remove this person out from existence even. I'm going to push past, I'm going to fight through so I can get this thing for my child or for myself or what have you. Are y'all with me this morning? It's this crazy, crazy thing. And so I've just kind of learned that throughout the years is that when people want something so bad, there seems to be no limit into to what they're willing to do in order to get it. There's no limit to even my own heart, I think about when I want something so bad and I'm like wanting to make that big purchase. I'm thinking about 
all the sacrifices I'm willing to make so I can get that thing. Now, in the scripture, we're going to read in Luke chapter 8 this morning. There's going to be an example of this. We're going to read about an incredible woman. Now, um, you know, we just, Black Friday, we talk about a passion and a pursuit for materialistic things. But we're going to talk about a woman that actually did it the right way. She had a passionate pursuit in Luke chapter 8 for Jesus, and she is going to teach us an incredible lesson this morning. She is going to show us something that basically it, I, I believe the Lord's going to speak to us through about her passionate pursuit of Jesus in Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to start in verse 40. Are you guys ready? Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. We're just going to read eight verses. This morning, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so if it's very different from your Bible, just listen carefully and it will come together. Verse 40, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the, uh, um, of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, but Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could no longer stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we long for you this morning. We long for your presence, Jesus. We want to press in, God. We want to search after you. We, we long for you, Jesus. Father, I pray for any heart here that if any of us may be here, including me, Lord, just here because of a routine, just here because we think we should be here, Father, would you just slowly change and mold our hearts to long after you, Jesus, to search after your presence and to fight in order to get you. Jesus, speak to us this morning. And everybody in the house said, Amen. Amen. So what's happening here is this woman and all of these people, as usual, the crowds are pressing around Jesus or following after him. He's traveling from one place to another. A man comes up to him as, as typical in the ministry of Jesus. And he goes... Uh, Jesus, my, my, my daughter is late. She's dying. She's laying there and she needs you. And, he, and so Jesus says, okay, let's go. I'm coming. And on the way, Jesus gets interrupted by this woman. Again, you can imagine the crowds pressing around him. They're, they're basically kind of reaching out to him or there's kind of like a celebrity. You ever turn on the news and you see celebrities like like walking down the street and just all of a sudden people bombard them. You can kind of picture this. Jesus in his ministry has caused such an uproar that people are gathering around him, pressing around him either to ask questions or either or just because that's kind of the thing to do. 
you see. And they're gathering around him. And so this woman comes comes up and grabs the hem of his robe. And as the scripture says, Jesus was interrupted by this. Now, I, I find this fascinating because we have a God that seems to allow himself to be interrupted. And that's interesting to know, isn't it? That if you've got a dilemma or a pain in your life, that you can run up to Jesus and, and he will actually take pause just for you. Isn't that amazing? This woman runs up to Jesus, interrupts him because of this desperation that she has to be restored. Now, the difficulty with this woman and her infirmity is that any the law demanded and the law required that any woman that was going through that time of the month that's supposed to be completely separated from the camp. Now, that would be pretty lame, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would stink as it was the time of... A, um, the time of an uncleanliness and, and because of all of the strict laws of the culture of this time that there was a cleansing process and for a week the woman would have to be outside of the camp and have to go through a ceremonial cleansing process. Even worse, that type of ostracized um, feeling that they would feel, that kind of feeling of being cast out is as if the woman actually would touch anything. They would touch you know, uh, uh, you know, something on the table or touches the, the bowl or, or, or the anywhere in the kitchen, those objects then would be have to go through a ceremonial cleansing process. It was this strict, strict law and rule that anything that the woman touched was then unclean. And if you were to touch that object, if you were to even shake her hand, you would have to be cleansed and be cleaned. And that's going to give us some context about what is happening. And so my question for us this morning is if we're to travel back in time, I often wonder this. Do you ever imagine what you would do if you were in a situation like this? If you imagine, if, you're just, if we were to go in the way back machine and go way back, go all the way back to this time where Jesus walked on the earth and we we're among this crowd and you were watching this happen firsthand, what would you do? What type of person would you be? My, my question is, would we kind of be one of the disciples? Would, would we kind of be in the crowd somewhere in the distance? Or would, you, would we be that person kind of sitting way in the distance just observing safely the ministry of Jesus? Now, in our world today, we are always interested. We are a people who are always interested in the path of least resistance, right? We, we want to be all about God. We want to bring about change to our world no matter what, but we would really rather someone else bring about that change than us. <laughs> Anybody? I would much rather someone more qualified be a part of changing the world, not me, right? And many times our life with Jesus, I think, better represents the crowd that's surrounding him rather than this woman. And I want to talk about that. This is a very important character to this story, the crowd. Every time that there's a healing, there's the Pharisees gathered around. But really the crowd is an important aspect to this story because there's all these people gathering around. And Jesus, every time he's walking and fulfilling this miracle or, or fulfilling this teaching he's wanting to do. He's always dealing with the crowds, right? So here's the thing about the crowd. 
And I imagine myself, and maybe some of you could too, if we were in this spot, where would we be? Where would you be in relation to Jesus? Would you be up front, up close and personal? Would you be a part of the crowd, standing at a distance, standing from afar? And I can imagine this person, I can imagine myself, or I could imagine us standing there. And on, among the crowd, you kind of have this safety, don't you? You have this kind of security that, you know, you go to a concert, you can kind of blend in and you can just kind of stand there. And if you're a shorter person, you can really blend in, right? And no one will notice you and you kind of put your hat down. You know, I had a pastor that would do that. He would test himself and he'd kind of see someone he knew in the mall and he would kind of put his hat on and just walk by and see if we'd notice him, you know, like... And, and, of course, it didn't. He texted me later like, ha, I walked past you, never even noticed me. I'm at the mall. I'm like, oh, no, you know. You just kind of want to blend in. You don't want to be noticed. You don't want to be called out. And, guys, this is, I feel, a major description of the way the church is today. You see, we want to worship Jesus from a distance. We want to be in that crowd. We want to be unnoticed. We don't want to be called out. We don't want to change. We want to kind of slip by. However, we still, we want to have some kind of attachment to Jesus. We might be interested in Jesus, but really we don't want to get close. We want to be safe, right? Does that kind of describe the church today? There's this attitude that standing from a distance, I've, I've wondered often what it would be like if I were there today. But what we have these questions, what if Jesus doesn't live up to my expectations? What if I pray and ask Jesus to fulfill this thing and it doesn't happen? What do I do? I, you see this tension here. What do I do? I, I desperately want this thing to happen, but what if Jesus doesn't live up to my expectations? Um, ladies and gentlemen, the most dangerous place in the world, you know where that is? The most dangerous place in the world is to be in the church and to never change. The most dangerous place to be is in the presence of God, to hear the word of God, but to not that word not to penetrate your heart and not affect you. The most dangerous place to be on earth today is in the church, but refuse to change ever, to stay the same and to stay the same, to repeatedly come back every single week, every single week, Week after week after week to hear the word of God week after week to read it day after day, but it never to affect your heart and it never to change us. We're in danger. Are y'all with me this morning? We get in danger. I'm, it's, it's almost like we say things like this. I'm going to just let Jesus approach me, but I'm not going to approach him. I'm going to sit safely in my seat, Right. And I want Jesus to kind of, it's almost like, I just want to kind of see if Jesus can impress me. You can kind of see that guy in the crowd as Jesus is walking by. You can kind of see that guy sitting in the corner or sitting up against the building with his arms crossed going, okay, the Jesus, Messiah, what, what do you have for me? Impress me. What, what kind of tricks are you going to pull today, right? I'm going to stand at a distance because it's, i got to make sure it's safe first. And guys, this is the ultimate danger of the church today is we try to worship Jesus from a distance rather than pulling and engaging in. Now, I know this is a house of God where this is a group of people that likes to engage Jesus. 
Amen. Right? Amen. I know that about you guys. This is a place where we want to get close to Jesus. We're going to draw into his presence. And so um, what we see here basically is when we kind of get in this stance where we want to be safe, we want to stand back. And in our culture, think about our America today. Think about the church as a whole. We get in this mindset. We want to stand at a different distance. And maybe the preacher will say something. Maybe pastor will come up and he'll kind of call something out that we got to remove this thing of our life. And you know what kind of, oh man, pastor's talking about me. You ever, anyone, right? He's talking about me and you kind of, you feel that tension. And a lot of times what we'll say is this, is, you know, my problems aren't really as bad as that woman over there. My problems aren't as severe as that person that needs desperate healing. My problems aren't as severe as this woman who had the, tr- the problem of bleeding for 12 years. My problems are not that great. So I really don't need to pursue. I really don't need to engage. I really don't need to chase that uh, and go to the altars and, and, some, and things and, and engage and pursue Jesus because really there's other people that need it more than me, Right? My problems aren't as bad, so I'm just going to stay here at a distance. Now, the problem with this is that just for the sake of being safe, a person must distance himself from Jesus while pretending to be close. And my friends, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. We cannot worship Jesus at a distance. We cannot be obedient from a distance. We have to draw in and get close to the Son of God. And grab the hem of his clothes. And so that brings us to this woman. What does she do? Ladies and gentlemen, could you imagine for 12 years being ostracized from your culture? 12 years not able to give a person a handshake or a hug or a kiss. For 12 long years, this woman was an outcast. For 12 years, she desperately was searching after any remedy she could find. Desperately searching after a cure. The Bible even alludes that she had everything she had tried didn't work. The Bible says that she had gone to the doctors. She had gone to the physicians. She might have gone to even the mystics or the seers or or any of these other Pharisees or anything like that. She had desperately tried to find healing to to her infirmity but found nothing. She had tried everything but nothing worked. This woman was unclean in the eyes of her society. She had visited the doctor. She had done everything. But the last hope that she had was this man from Nazareth, Jesus, who came walking by, who his reputation had no doubt preceded him. And she hears the story. Maybe this man from Nazareth, this Jesus called Messiah, can heal me. And now, guys, pay very close attention because what she does is incredible. This woman breaks all the rules in the book. And she presses through this crowd. Now remember, she's not supposed to touch anyone or anything. But she sees her Messiah. She sees her only hope of being restored. And she pursues Jesus. And she rushes in, trying to go unnoticed, trying not to be seen. And shoves her way through this crowd, kind of slipping by people, trying to cover herself, trying to cover her body. And she's moving in and she grabs the hem of his cloak. Now, this is worth saying is the Bible and the translation that we read in English, it says that she touched him. But the Greek is a word that's actually far different. The word is grasped. That she reached out and grasped. 
Now, the difference between those two words, I know, doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, does it? She didn't just casually, haphazardly walk by and go, oh, look, here's Jesus, and then kind of put her hand on his shoulder. No. Out of desperation, out of longing to be healed, out of longing to be restored, she presses through the crowd, almost shoving people out of the way. Like there's a children, like, okay, child, move out of the way. <laughs> like, it's like slowly moving and weaving through the crowd so she can desperately grab the hem of his garment. Because of the pursuit of this woman's heart and the desperation of wanting to be restored. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a picture of what we need to be today? She pushes through this crowd because she understands this principle that trusting Jesus from a distance is never going to work. It's never going to work. You have to move in. You have to close in. You have to get close. You have to get in Jesus' face and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, God. Restore me, oh God. Give me a chance again. Every single thing I've tried before hasn't worked. I need you, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, the cross of Jesus has paved a way for us to get close to God. It has paved the way for you and I, for you can approach Jesus Christ in prayer, and guess what? You can interrupt him. And he seems to allow it. That if you have made, if your whole world is crumbling, if your world is falling to pieces, and you're crying out to Jesus, it, it, that's the beautiful thing about God, is he's not too busy. Now, he is busy, right? God is doing a lot of stuff, but when you approach him, and I approach him, we can interrupt him. He'll pay attention to you like you're the only one in the room. The cross of Jesus has paved a way and bridged the gap for you and I to get close to Jesus. Now, what does Jesus do? His tenderness, the, the tenderness and the loving nature of Jesus allows himself to be interrupted. And he stops in his tracks. And when Jesus is walking in the crowd and then he dead stops in his tracks, everyone starts to listen, Right? So he's there, and he, is, he sees and he says these words, wait, everyone stop, someone just touched me. Now think about this, Jesus is surrounded in the crowd, and all these people are kind of mashed up against Jesus, it's kind of like sardines, you know, you're just kind of just crammed and it's uncomfortable and everyone's, now some of us, we have to see the humor in this. Okay, imagine being here, everyone's pressed up against Jesus, and then you hear Jesus say, okay, everyone stop, someone just touched me. You've got to just kind of chuckle, like, and Peter's sitting there going, "Uh, well, Master, Jesus, uh, everyone's touching you. It's like kind of an awkward moment. Like, wait, someone just touched me, and everyone's going, uh... Yeah, you know, everyone's kind of, who was it? <laughs> you know, who did, someone stepped on his foot or something, right? But Jesus meant something far deeper. You see, he says, someone, no, I felt power come out for me. What Jesus is saying, someone touched me. He says, I just felt faith. I just felt it. Something miraculous, something amazing has just happened. And who here, now understandably, he probably knew all along. But Jesus felt this woman's faith, knew this woman's faith, and gave her a chance to stand up and tell her story. Now how incredible would that would have been? You happen to be, she had to get past this, I'm being exposed, I'm being... Uh, but, but Jesus brings this woman out from the depths and gives her new life again. 
And she's restored to something brand new, restored to her original state. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, says, ask and it will be given to you, Jesus says. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And so the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, that's incredible news, guys. You can approach Jesus, the Son of God, and you'll be restored. You'll be made new. I don't know what kind of problems you might have this morning, what kind of issues you struggle with, but you can approach Jesus, the Son of God, and He will restore you. He will make you new. Jesus does not say in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and then blow your door down. (laughs) Right? And make a Jesus-shaped hole in your door. He says, Behold, I stand on the door and I knock. Anyone who wants to partake in me, come. Come, Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have a student in our ministry that has turned into an incredible, wonderful story. I remember... um, he came into our ministry and he was very upset, very angry. Anyone know, like, you meet a person, they're just an angry, angry, hurting person. That's totally what this guy was like. He was in small group and he treated his small group leader basically like garbage. He would kind of just test his authority and every time the small group leader would say, like, hey, like, like uh, let's hang out or let's, let's pray or let's, let's get into small group and read the Bible, he would always kind of antagonize his small group leader. Something would fall on the ground, he was, and he would kind of treat his small group leader like a like a like a slave, even like an animal. And he's like, "Hey, pick that up, small group leader. You're supposed to serve me, right?" So totally this like wicked attitude of serve me. And and the beauty of the small group leader said said, "You know what, brother? I love you." And he would pick it up and hand it back to him. Just totally took the position of a servant and loved this guy. Now I remember on campus. I made this guy really mad, okay? So I'm sitting there and I'm holding one of my, my friend uh, and, and uh, his wife just had a baby. They're on staff with us. So I'm holding baby Evelyn in my arms. We're on campus. We're evangelizing and preaching to students and, and having a great time. So this guy, we're talking back and forth. And again, bad attitude. He's kind of all into himself. He's in. He's like, I don't think anyone's better than me. And so I'm kind of talking with him, trying to reason with him i says dude you know he loves soccer so i said hey man you know understand i'm not talking about soccer i'm talking about your life here your life is not a game if you stay this way forever it's not going to be good and and so he basically got real defensive and he got mad he's like you mean to tell me like he's like i don't need anybody he said to me i don't need anyone and if if you're to say that anyone's better than me either at soccer or whatever it didn't matter he just wanted to be the best (laughs) You know, and I'm just trying to reason with him. I'm holding this baby and and he's saying, like, no one's better than me. You can't convince me. Like, and I and I said, dude, you're this is your life. And the, the biggest problem you've got is exactly that. You don't think you need anyone. In fact, this baby I'm holding in my arms knows truth better than you do. Because this baby knows that she needs her parents. 
and you think you don't need anyone. Well, he got, I would love to say that he fell down and repented right there, but no, he got mad. <laughs> he got so mad that he started pacing back and forth wanting to punch me in the face. He went up to a small group leader and was like, dude, I'm going to punch Daniel in the face. I'm going to punch him. I can't, like, he, he just said this to me. He was deeply, deeply insulted. Now, how many of you know when you have so much pride in you and you love yourself so much, as soon as someone threatens that, in you, that's when you start to get angry and fight back. So if you ever notice yourself get angry and lash out, it's because you love something about yourself that just got threatened. Okay, go with me. So he get, he gets threatened. He's angry. He's mad, and he's he's literally pacing around, looking at me like waiting, thinking he's gonna. He wants to punch me in the face. He's like, if you weren't holding that baby, you know, and I'm just kind of standing here holding baby Evelyn, and he's just mad, right? So several months later go by, you know, we keep praying for him. We keep loving on him. And he's uh, keeps going to small group. And, and one day he's kind of joking with me. He's like, hey, Daniel, when are you going to let me preach on Thursday nights? And I was like, huh? <laughs> and he's like, when are you going to let me preach, dude? Like, you always get to preach. What's so special about you? When are you going to let me preach? I said, actually, I would let you preach, but you got to get right with God first. And I turned around and I walked off. And that, so he's kind of being playful. He's like, oh, come on, man. Like, when are you going to let me preach sometime? And, I, and as I'm walking away, I said, get right with God, and we'll talk. And I walked to my truck. So here's what happens, guys. As months go, probably six months later, he comes by. I see him on campus. He walks up to me. He wraps his arms around me, gives me a big old hug, in which he's never done that before. And he said, Daniel, I want to show you something. I've been writing in my notebook here. My spiral notebook, every time I get mad, and I see, I see his notebook, and there's a long list of scripture on it. It says, every time I get mad, I read this verse here. He's even highlighted and color-coded the verses in his notebook, right? And he's reading through, he says, every time I get sad or lonely, I read this verse. Every time I do this, I read this verse. And all of a sudden, this guy, who was so filled with anger, so filled with with brokenness and and vindictiveness i'm seeing a guy who's completely transformed because he instead of worshiping jesus from a distance he was always that guy that sat in the back had his arms crossed and didn't want really to do anything with god or anything like that but he started to pursue he started to chase after jesus and he started reading the Bible. He started looking through these things. And slowly but surely, I started to see this kid transform into a completely different person. Amen? This guy got radically saved, radically transformed, turned upside down, and saved. And now, so he's graduated. Now he's a school teacher and he's a coach, soccer coach for, or football coach for little kids and stuff. And you know, he comes up to me on our Thursday night meetings and with tears streaming down his face, he says, Daniel, these kids look up to me like I'm their father. They need me. And he starts preaching to these kids saying, you gotta have Jesus. And with tears pouring down his face, he says, Daniel, these, my football players gave their lives to Jesus. Because their teachers poured in their life. Amen. Glory to God. Change from a person filled with hate to a person filled with love. Saying these young people need Jesus. And if I don't love Jesus radically, how are they going to know him radically? You see, guys, the same way this student, he pursued Jesus with a fire, with a passion. 
moved everything out of his life out of the way so he could get to Jesus and Jesus received him. It doesn't matter what kind of person you might be here. You might be quite angry at times and you might have a lot of things. But you see, Jesus will allow himself to be interrupted if you seek after him. But worshiping him from afar, worshiping him, and you know what I mean by that, emotionally distant. There's nothing wrong with sitting in the back of the room. I'm seeing you guys. You're kind of laying in the back. You're like, huh, is he talking about us? No, not at all. <laughs> you guys are all fine. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? When we have a chance to open our word, the word of God and engage Jesus in our own life, and we don't take that chance, we worship him from a distance. Every time we think about engaging or, or, or being an answer to prayer to someone else or engaging Jesus in our devotional life every single day, when we refuse that stuff, we worship Jesus from afar, and that's never going to work. This student that gave his life to Jesus pursued Christ. The same as this woman who desperately needed restoration. They decided to get close. And guys, the testing of your faith is seeing how you respond to the invitation of Christ. The testing of our faith is, is how we respond to the invitation of Christ. If you're going to expect to be delivered, healed, restored, then you can't just sit and wait for God to do all the work. He is actually waiting for you to chase Him. Amen. You see, some of us in this room might really need to hear this this morning, is that if you've been waiting on a lot of stuff, We've been waiting. You've been waiting for things in life to work out. We've been, you've been waiting for the job to thing to situation to work out. You've been waiting for that family situation to work out. Maybe that healing you've longed for. But after a while, you get fatigued and you start realizing the whole point of it all, ladies and gentlemen, is the chase. The whole point of it all is the pursuit of getting close to Jesus. Last time I was here, you might have remembered we preached on Naaman and basically how... To be restored, what it requires is obedience. That restoration demands obedience. But the message for this morning is essentially this, like what this woman did. Restoration demands pursuit. Are y'all with me? Let's say that again and repeat after me. Restoration, restoration. demands yes. pursuit. We have got to chase after Jesus with every single thing we've got. We have got to pursue Him. Because if we just kind of sit down spiritually and wait and say, ah, there's nothing in the Bible that's really impressed me today or anything like that. Or if, we, if pastor comes up here and he said, we've got this opportunity to reach our community. And you're just like, ah, that's really not me. You see, we wait. It's like Jesus is walking across this altar at the front. We just say, kind of wave from the back and say, well, impress me. Like, there's, there's nothing here. We, we have got to get up out of our seats and we've got to pursue the Son of the living God. Jesus is waiting. And maybe sometimes we get in that stage, guys. Or maybe some of you are here this morning and you're saying, I've been waiting forever for Jesus to do something to change me. But you've forgotten the whole point is that you've got to pursue him first. Amen. Sometimes, guys, we treat God like going on a really bad date. <laughs> we show up to church and we say, okay, God, impress me. You ever been on a really bad date before and you're kind of just like, 
Like, what does this person have to offer me? You kind of go through the checklist. These are the things I need. Some of us are thinking way back when we first started dating, right? You first met your spouse or you first met your future wife or husband. But guys, hear me out this morning. God is, it's not his job here to, to sit here and impress you. You see, God has already shown himself faithful. It is not on him to prove his faithfulness to you. It's on you to prove your faithfulness to him. Amen. You see, Jesus proved his faithfulness on the cross. When he offered up his life and laid his life down to die, to be crucified on that cross, he proved everything. He proved everything for you. He proved absolutely everything that you would ever need to be reconciled to God again is through that cross and through Jesus. Amen. It is not on God to then after impress you and to prove his faithfulness to you. He's already done it. It's upon you and I to prove our faithfulness to him by pursuing Jesus. When you fall in love with your husband or wife, some of us can think about that. If you're single here, you know, you might think about the future spouse that you're going to run into. My question is, did you not cancel all of your plans in which to go on that date with that future husband or wife? Did you not shove things out of the way? Did you not have meetings that canceled? Like, no, I've got a date tonight with a handsome so-and-so or a beautiful so-and-so. Right? Are y'all with me? You canceled the plans, didn't you? You called in sick for work like, oh, I can't make it. <laughs> right? <laughs> because the value of that person you're fixing to meet overrides everything else. You just want to be with that person with that future spouse, that future wife, did we not shove everything out of the way, cancel the plans in order to get to that person? So my question, and this might sting a little bit, but when was the last time we canceled plans to be with Jesus? It's like a very bad Black Friday sale, except for the right reasons. When's the last time we shoved things out of the way in our life so we could get on our knees and be in the presence of God? Guys, it's a pursuit. Restoration demands a chase. It demands a pursuit. It demands us to get on our knees and say everything else does not matter. Everything else to the side. All of the plans, all of the things, all of the calendar, you just scratch it out and say, I'm going to be in with Jesus. Guys, restoration demands a pursuit. Amen. It demands a chase. Let's stand this morning. Stand to our feet and we're going to be in the presence of God this morning. My friends, if Jesus is simply just a conversation interest, if he's just a, a, a nice teacher and the Bible is just a good set of rules to follow, we still worship Jesus at a distance. We're not close. If the cross of Jesus is just a historical event and there's really no power behind it, we still worship Jesus at a distance. If learning the word of God is burdensome to you, if it's just a burden and, ugh, I just feel like I have to do this to check a box, guys, we still stand at a distance. Amen? If Christianity to you, if knowing Jesus, if going to church to you is just really a means to have peace and happiness, we still stand at a distance. We're not close. 
we're not close. If church is just this ritual to you, if you're here and you just come here because you've always come here, if it's just this routine that you have to do because you feel like you've got to do it to please God, we're not close. We still stand at the distance. We have to, like this woman, shove past your calendar, shove everything to the side. All of the fears you have, guys, those are like the Black Friday people. You got to shove them to the side. All your fears and worries and concerns, you got to move them to the side so you can clear that path and shove past. The culture and society is going to have all these rules on you. Say, no, you're unclean. You can't do that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. But you got to break all those rules. So in church, we're learning how to break rules this morning, okay? We're learning how to break some rules, okay? You're going to shove past everything. What if this person says this about me? You're going to ignore it. What if that person at my work might do? What if a person on the street when we go evangelize with the church sees me? You're going to shove it to the side. You're going to pursue Jesus. Because if you are here and you desperately want to be restored, you got to pursue. Amen. you got to pursue. Restoration demands pursuit. Is anyone here ready to pursue? Amen. When I pray, I'm going to open up these altars and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit. Jesus, make a way for me to approach you.